and welcome to episode 26 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media. We're back after a spring break of sorts, and we hope everyone is healthy and safe right now. Something we often talk about on this show is the importance of communication in analytics, and the topic will come up almost any time you hear a coach or player talking about data and their process of getting data to and from uh, different people in their organization. One key tool in bridging that gap is data visualization, which can often tell you stories or reach people in ways that raw numbers cannot. Uh, you show a heat map to a baseball coach or a shot chart to a soccer player, maybe they'll react differently than if they're handed a table of data. With that in mind, today's guest is Steve Finn, a data visualization architect whose work you've probably seen if you're a part of soccer Twitter or the DataViz community. Steve has been teaching data visualization using Tableau for about five years, and he has a new online class that focuses on sports. Tableau is something that's used by a lot of teams for things like pregame reports, and Steve will get into more details about what makes Tableau useful and accessible, how we got into the DataViz world, why data visualizations are important, principles of good DataViz, common mistakes that he sees, and his Tableau Development Academy. Obviously, talking about visuals on an audio podcast can be a little awkward, so I do encourage you to pull up some of the links from our show notes, which include several of Steve's data visualizations that we referenced during our conversation. Afterward, True Media's resident data viz expert, Andy Cox, will join me to react and wrap things up. Now, without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with data visualization architect Steve Finn. <laughs> We're joined now on Expected Value by Steve Finn, Data Visualization Architect. Steve, welcome to the show. Before we dive into the DataViz world, let's just talk about how are you doing out there in Colorado during this quarantine time? Like everyone, hanging in there is um, a good descriptor. Um, I've got an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and an infant, all boys. Hmm. So um, hmm. I can't relate to people that are saying they're bored, <laughs> but um, I understand why uh, you know others are in a different situation than I am. But uh, yeah. but overall, doing okay. Let's start here by tracing your career path, kind of to where you are today. So, you worked in sales and banking uh, before you shifted into the Tableau world and the DataViz world about five years ago. How did DataViz Tableau? How did that kind of creep into your career even before you changed tracks? So I always had a math background. Um, I'd done very well in that subject throughout school, and I always mm -hmm. loved sports stats. And so yeah. it was kind of easy to get into looking at statistics and eventually finding reasons to visualize them just for fun. So I ha happened to have a fair amount of free time about a decade or so ago and started to blog for an FC Dallas blog called Big D Soccer. Yep. And amidst that, I'd start asking questions once I was looking a little bit closer at games on overall trends of the team. And my first big data visualization was actually in Microsoft Paint. Um, <laughs> The uh, the star number 10 for FC Dallas at the time, Davi Ferreira, had been injured for roughly half the season. So I figured, okay, really good sample here. And um, and then OptiData had just rolled out in Major League Soccer uh, that year, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at the chalkboards of the times he was on the field and the times he wasn't on the field. And I counted the pixels and I put dots where all of the shots were taken. 
and ran a visual comparison between the two. Like I said, at the time, I had much more free time than I have right now. Um, Pre-kids, right? Pre-kids, yes. And it was well-received, but uh, someone on Twitter saw it and said, you know, there's this software called Tableau that would help you do these sorts of things a lot more efficiently. And that was really what got the ball rolling in earnest. So it was uh, was interesting that I developed this professional skill very much by just kind of goofing around with sports stats that I found interesting. And did some of that kind of creep into your professional work before you shifted gears again and what you're doing in whether sales or banking or something like that? Did that kind of start merging there a little bit? It did. Uh, the The sports stats stuff kind of led it. Um, I was, at the time I first created that visual, I was in the sales area and I, I had always had a bit more of a, a math orientation than mo- most people. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they'd have me calling a, a book of business when I was doing small business sales for the bank. And in reflection, I, I realized that my biggest successes came from kind of mathematical profiling real quickly, looking at all of uh, those clients before I would call them. Mm-hmm. And so that naturally transitioned me to the analysis department. So I would be more instrumental in preparing the books of business for all the other salespeople who were actually a little more effective on the phone. Right. And once I was in the analysis department, they got Tableau licenses. And so I started to make use of the tool professionally as well as as a hobby. But it was the hobby that started it. So before we kind of talk specifically about Tableau, let's just take one step back and a a very general question that's somewhat self-evident. And I think people have a general sense of this, but just kind of broadly speaking, why is data viz important? Where's the power of data viz come in? Good point. And, uh, and apologies to anyone listening who doesn't know what I'm talking about with Tableau. We will get there. Yep. Um, but with data visualization, you see the important trends, outliers, and data errors much, much faster than when everything's just dumped into dozens of rows and columns in an Excel sheet. And then once you get better uh, with how you're organizing those visualizations, you can get beyond those basic trends and outliers and errors and start to craft Uh, visualizations and and dashboards that allow your audience to explore the nuances and gain a a much better understanding of of what's going on within the sport, within the business, within whatever the topic of the data is. Okay. So let's talk specifically about Tableau again, one of your primary areas of expertise. A lot of businesses and teams use it to make things pretty. We work with a lot of teams that will take the data from our platforms and put it in Tableau templates or, or whatever before presenting it to coaches, players, front office staffers, whatever. So let's, let's kind of start at the bottom here. What is Tableau? What are its strengths? What do people use it for? The briefest description of Tableau that I think gets the point across is that it is a data visualization engine. It's very much focused on the best way to allow people without coding to organize their data into charts, allow those charts to interact with each other. And those creating all of these things don't need any coding expertise. Tableau was invented by some smart folks in the early 2000s at Stanford who basically looked at Excel and said, the charting aspect of of this is insufficient for what would really add a lot of value for people. And kind of the story of Excel is that it's ending up being used for so much that it's mm-hmm. um, it's just too diversified and, and not focused enough on that particular task. Also, a big strength of Tableau is that you can feed in more than a million rows of data. In fact, I've seen dashboards with billions of rows uh, feeding it that gets good performance for the end users. 
So I know a little bit about Tableau, mostly from kind of the back end of gathering and, and ordering the data on some projects while I was at ESPN. What's the learning curve like there? You mentioned there's no coding required, which would seem to make it more accessible. What's the learning curve or what does someone need to know before diving into this? First of all, as with when you're learning anything, uh, try to go in with some humility and not just get mad that it's doing something different than <laughs> Excel or a coding language that you already know does. Um, in many cases, there's a good reason for it doing those things differently, even if it is a bit of a, a, a barrier for people to wrap around how to make a stacked bar chart. In particular, mm -hmm. it's very different than Excel in that way. Mm -hmm. And there are certain visuals that you would that Excel makes easy that it really shouldn't. Um, for example, adding in 3D elements to charts uh, tends to skew perception and precision when, uh, when the audience is looking at it. In Excel, that's just a little option to click in a menu. In Tableau, you would ha have to do a lot of work to make something 3D because the science behind how people understand charts tells us that a 3D element is, is actually hurting more than helping. Hmm. Um, but getting back to the question of the learning curve and what people should know going in, basic familiarity with spreadsheets, Excel, Google Sheets, whatever, is going to help a lot. Uh, but that's a pretty low bar. Most people who are interested in, in data and statistics have got at least a, a simple understanding of, of how those things work. Even better if you have a, a deeper understanding of statistics, advanced mathematics, um, Coding languages can help kind of on the other end. Once you've learned Tableau, uh, coding language will help with shaping the data before it reaches the software. And there are also aspects of coding like regular expressions and a uh, few R functions that can be done in Tableau calculated fields. Is it safe to say that, at least at the basic level, Tableau is pulling this data out of some sort of order format, Excel, like I said, Google Sheets, whatever, mm -hmm. and basically translating that into pretty graphics. Is that the simple way of summing it up? That would be the simple way. And it can connect to a lot more than just those flat files. Mm -hmm. um, the, the professional implementations of Tableau Desktop and Tableau Server are usually coming from very large databases that are updating constantly with, with business information. Okay. I'm curious about some of your super fancy Tableau projects that we've seen. Uh, we'll put a link to uh, your Tableau uh, page in our show notes, and you have a couple ones you know, that are kind of flashy looking. You're you're taking data like comparing how Jimi Hendrix played the guitar compared to other guys artists who played the same songs. A lightsaber themed one comparing Star Wars movie ratings. Uh, what's kind of the process on that? How do those come about? Is that a ton more work, or how do, how do those come about? It depends. It's um it's kind of funny that you use those two as the examples. The Jimi Hendrix one, I probably spent more hours on that one visualization than any other I've, I've ever created. Mm. Um, and that's because, you know, if you're making a bar chart, you've got the, the numbers that you're, you're adding up to determine the length of the bar and you've got the, the names of the teams or the players. And so adding up their amount of goals, points, whatever, and, mm -hmm. and putting that bar chart, that's what Tableau makes easy. Yep. The Jimi Hendrix one. So I've got this heat map on the fretboard and we've got four songs where I'm comparing the original song to Hendrix's cover. And the first one, of course, I, I chose was all along the watchtower, uh, looking at Dylan's guitar versus Hendrix's. And so this heat map has got yellow splotches wherever their fingers were the, the most often. Mm. And, um, and then moving off to the other parts of the color palette for yep. the less common uh, places for the fingers. 
that's not a standard visualization that, you know, Tableau is going to have a, a couple of clicks and it's done. Okay. And so I had to go um, find the right image for the background guitars. Um, I've got a brother-in-law who's better at Photoshop than I am. So he helped with that. I, I had to, the, the biggest part of it was gathering and reshaping the data. Right. Um, so I, I found um, guitar tablatures. That, that tell you where the fingers should be at, at every moment in the song. Okay. And moving those from what was just basic text with hyphens in between every, uh, every space where the fingers weren't on one of the frets uh, into a format the Tableau could interpret was easily the biggest part of the job. Yeah, yeah a lot of mapping, I guess, basically. Yeah, I, I was able to semi-automate some of it, and we'll get into a moment some some general thoughts on on data shaping. Mm -hmm. But there are different tools you can use uh, depending on what logic can can guide that data shaping. Um, in my case, there was a little bit too much. It depends for me to just run one workflow and and get the correct data structure on the other side immediately. Yeah, and so I ended up. Um, having kind of a multi multi-tab Google sheet where I could plug it in one place, move it to, to the next one and make adjustments. If I saw it was a little bit off. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're looking at only eight songs, that was worthwhile. Right. I originally envisioned this to be much, much broader. I wanted to look at 10 covers by Hendrix, 10 covers by Stevie Ray Vaughan, 10 covers by Eric Clapton and, you know, look at a lot of the general uses of the fretboard for a lot of guitar masters. It was just too onerous to, to get it quite that far, but I'm, I'm glad it ended up where it was because I, I think it is a, a very intuitive um, subject to, to look at covers versus mm -hmm. originals. So it sounds like something like that, a lot of work kind of on, on the back end before it gets super pretty. Whereas something like the star Wars one, a little more straightforward, right. that sounds, I'm guessing that's, it was a little easier to make pretty and it was just kind of the theming and the creativity that you had to do. Uh, again, listeners can, can click on my Tableau profile and, yep. and look at star Wars critics versus audiences, but that is essentially a slope graph, which is, uh, and, you know, every line is just a line chart with two data points on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so you think about that, if your data structure is right, that's really, really simple to create. Uh, the, the only trick I had to use there is, it looks like it's a single line for every uh, comparison of critic scores versus audience scores for the movies, but it's actually four lines with different shades of color to give it more of the lightsaber look. Nice. Yeah. We'll have links in our show notes. Check out those Tableau projects and other work that you've done. So you referenced this uh, a moment ago about other programs, apps that help the data shaping and stuff. What other, so what other programs or knowledge is particularly useful when creating data viz, whether it's in Tableau or uh, other programs you might use for it? So the biggest thing to remember about Tableau is that it's, I like to say it's data literal. If the data table is wrong, then your chart is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so the, the vital thing you have to have is being able to, at the very least, use Excel or Google Sheets um, to restructure the data as needed um, to organize it so that Tableau can interpret it appropriately. Yeah. When we get into the more advanced stuff, like the guitar tablatures, you have to do some pretty heavy things to to organize in the way the Tableau is going to want. But as anyone who's dealt with data in on a deep level knows, just about all data has some kind of problems. 
you know, sometimes if it's a minor thing, you can use a Tableau calculated field to just fix it on the fly. But if restructuring is necessary to either um, give a correct presentation or to um, organize it so that a, a particularly fancy visualization is possible, then you're going to need some some data shaping tools. Like I said, Excel, Google Sheets is the ground level there. Well, when you get into big data, it's much better to use um, something like Alteryx, SQL coding, R, uh, to do some of that restructuring very quickly for you. Tableau itself, a year or two ago, launched a secondary program called Tableau Prep, and that does some of the same things. Alteryx is kind of the, the industry standard of how to do a lot of these data shaping, data management corrections. Tableau Prep, at this point, is a, is a pretty good substitute for that if what you're dealing with is some basic reorganizing and corrections, although it, it's limited relative to coding or, or Alteryx in, in its capabilities at this point. Let's uh, talk some general kind of data viz principles and such. Since lots of us who we work with data, we often have to present it. You want to make it uh, look good. What are a, a kind of a guiding or a couple key principles or two for you just to present good data visualization? Tableau, you know, simple bar charts, whatever it is. Just what, what are kind of a couple key things that you always keep in mind when you're putting things together? In some ways, it circles back to the why is data viz important? Identifying trends, outliers, data errors. And so the errors become the primary thing. When Tableau or any kind of data visualization first rolls out in an organization, it is almost always the first major insight is, oh, our data is terrible here. <laughs> and if you don't get out ahead of that and have a, a strategy for combating those things, then you can end up with people getting very, very frustrated. I had a, a client that I... I taught hundreds of their employees how to use Tableau, and I gave them warnings that if the data is wrong, you're going to get the wrong results, garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. And I called them up a couple months after my, my last class I'd given them, and the manager I've been working with said, so the executives were shown some of your students' dashboards, and, and they said that they were wrong. And, um, and, and they said, you know, shut down Tableau development for now. <laughs> And I said, well, one, they didn't listen to my warnings. And two, if we know they're wrong now, the reports they were getting before were wrong too. Right. And they didn't don't shoot the messenger. And, and they didn't notice because in non-visual reports, those errors can get lost. And so it's it's a great idea when when these things first roll out to to have a review process and and maintain that review process going forward too. But especially early on, you got to figure out a basic level of reliability for the the data you're dealing with. Mm. And if you do have to publish something that you know is imperfect, make a note of the imperfection on the page. Right. You know, once you've got good enough data, the main principles it's always good to come back to is thinking about what your audience needs and efficiently communicating a message that they can hear. Yeah. So, you know, within sports, if you're presenting something to a coach mm -hmm. and it's a tricked out dashboard with eight charts on it and all of them are going into all this detail, most coaches are going to get overwhelmed or annoyed by that and just throw it to the side. Yep. If you've got one or two impactful visualizations that align with a question the coach was asking, yeah, yeah. that's going to have, that's going to work. 
this is where you get quite a mix of art and science. Uh, for a former employer, I would uh, interview Tableau developers for uh, for some consulting assignments. Mm-hmm. And you'd see people on LinkedIn that would brag about their Tableau experience and that they're Tableau certified. And I'd say, yeah, whatever on the certification, show me something you built. Yeah. And many times they would send me something that made it clear that they technically knew how to build something, but they had very little understanding of what would be effective. Mm. And many of the artsy or um, some people see as nebulous decisions you make in data visualization come down to audience needs again and whether precision or impact is the priority. So if you need to get somebody to hear a message mm-hmm. and it doesn't make as much of a difference what the specific numbers are, then that's when you try to make it as pretty as possible so that it's going to draw their attention in and say, oh, there's a huge difference between this and this, and, and that can change my thinking. Yep. If it is um, a situation where some nuance and some precision are necessary to make a very specific change in behavior, then you need precise presentations of reviews. And so that's going to be a major guiding principle of um, how I go about my visualization. Generally, I hedge towards precise and I try to come back and use general formatting to make them attractive. Sometimes you can get a bit of both. The Jimi Hendrix one isn't terribly precise. The color is doing a lot of of the messaging, but it's intuitive. And that's mm-hmm. a, a major part of it, that the reality of what you're presenting should be clearly tied to what's going on. You know, that's why when you create something for a basketball team, looking at locations of stuff, you want the court in the background. You want a soccer pitch in the background of, of heat maps for players, et cetera. And so trying to make it as intuitive, intuitive as possible to get a message across and, and finding that balance between precision and impact is where kind of the art and, and all the practice comes in. Yeah, the precision and impact thing I think is interesting. And you and I were both on the Sounders Analytics Conference uh, virtual presentations this week. Yeah. Uh, John Byrne Murdoch talked about that. Now, I think, yeah, yeah the flatten the curve graphic that you now the, the first one of, of the mm-hmm. pandemic, mm-hmm. I don't even think there were numbers on it. Nope. But you get the idea very quickly. So that's where the impact, the message was more important. Uh, than the precision because exactly you know, who who cares what the numbers are you get the point pretty quickly right uh, right we had an urgent need to get the point across we 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 go for impact right yep so you were like I said you were on that the conference as well and John Byrne Murdoch is a data viz guy for the Financial Times he's the death charts guy as he referred to himself mm-hmm. uh, anything else you kind of took away from his presentation because he had a lot of good stuff to say I thought it was great um, at some point I'm gonna have to hunt YouTube and see if he's uh, he's given a similar presentation that's that's publicly available because I'm I'm definitely gonna tweet about that um, and, and recommend a, a lot more people watch it some of it aligns with what I just said about principles of good data viz, and I probably would have come up with similar words before seeing John's presentation, but it probably had yeah. an impact on me. But he he did hammer that you know data viz authors have to be focused on the message their audience will interpret or can interpret, and this is a big one. Most of us need to pay a lot more attention to the text within our, our charts, uh, and, yeah. and and I've fallen victim to this as well. You know, I I put all the time into creating a chart 
and and feeling this is this is beautiful and then i'm like oh, i slap a title on there but uh he had a slide in his presentation where they were surveying people who had just looked at their visualizations and were asked what they remembered or, or what was impactful and the text elements ended up in the answers to that question more often than the charts themselves now there could be something said about the survey responses versus what was actually having an impact, but it, it does get the point across that yep. the text makes a very, very big difference. Yeah. And I, and I liked, he had the example of basically from that same test, like how people read charts and it's basically a Z where you're reading the, the headline basically. And then you're starting going back left or right and, and following the chart that way, which I thought was pretty useful. It's something right. we're going to do at ESPN just as we like redesign graphics and mm -hmm. we're figuring out how to communicate them on TV. It was a similar thing. Like your headlines got to be good. Mm -hmm. You know, your columns are over here, you know, just relatively straightforward stuff, but it was good to see. And I go a little bit deeper with that with my students. I, I teach a lot of Tableau classes. And um, every time I'm, I'm teaching them about dashboarding and dashboards in, in this terminology means a page on which you're organizing your chart or charts uh, into the exact format and dimensions that they're going to consume it in. Mm -hmm. And what I tell them is just remember, everybody's used to reading left to right, up to down, and that's how they're going to consume your, your charts and your dashboards as well. So when there are multiple charts on the screen, they're going to start in the top left. They're going to see the title. Then they're going to move to the chart that's just below that title. And they're going to uh, navigate that way. And in general, when, when people are putting multiple charts on screen, one's going to be higher level, looking at a very general trend. And then you're going to get more granular as you go. And so that's the way that I would generally organize those dashboards as you start with that general big overall story chart in the top left. And then you're getting more more specific as you as you navigate uh like you would read a page anything kind of from a not quite negative standpoint but i know like hashtag makeover monday is the thing kind of in data viz yeah. world where you uh take a chart or something and figure out how it can be improved mm -hmm. uh, so what are kind of the common things that you tend to see need to be improved from whether it's beginners or just just charts that need to be better what are the common themes you see that hey this this can be improved this can be improved etc yeah, so I see a lot of overuse of pie charts and stacked bar charts, but the thing that ties the the worst uses of both of those together is going crazy with color. Um, in in both of those cases, uh, you know, you think about a two piece pie chart. Great, I can yep. interpret a ratio between these two elements very simply. You get into three or four pieces. Okay, I can still see which one's the biggest, um, but if you Google bad data visualization, you'll find lots of pie charts with dozens of pieces. And if you were to try to precisely figure out, is this one bigger than the other one? or And by how much? You really have no idea. Mm -hmm. And a similar principle goes with the stacked bar charts that have more than a couple of pieces. The, the central strength of a stacked bar chart is you can see the overall total of those segments stacked together and that you can uh, compare the first stacked element next to the axis. So all, because all of those start at zero and then move on from there. But if you've got three, four, five dozens in a lot of cases of elements stacked up, how do you compare the values of that fifth color along the stacked bar? Because they're all starting from a different spot. You can get a, a rough estimate of the length, but but they're not lined up in a way that helps you very much. Right. And so there are there are smarter ways to go about those. I've certainly made my mistakes with color early on. I was actually featured on a blog called Junk Charts <laughs> when I created my very first um, Major League Soccer 
salary comparison chart. Uh, I've created what's called a tree map. And you'll see that I've got a, a version of it that's much more smartly organized towards the top of my Tableau public profile. It's uh, kind of an alternative to a stacked bar that can, uh, instead of just having little slivers for the tiniest elements of those stacked bars, it has tiny little rectangles for the for the really tiny ones. And in Major League Soccer, you've got teammates, one making $6.5 million and another making $50,000. Well, a standard stack bar chart that the $50,000 guy might be a pixel wide. He might just disappear. Um, in the, the tree map, it'll, it'll be a, a tiny rectangle, but it'll be visible. Anyway, so the reason I ended up on, on junk charts is that my first version of this, I created it and I was looking at my data and said, oh, I've got a position dimension here. Let's just throw it onto color. And so I had this kaleidoscope with you know, midfielders in one color, forwards in another, the ones that were slash positions uh, in between that. And I'll base it on the color wheel. And the junk charts guy looked at that and said, okay, so the, the color seems important. So I guess he's trying to tell us about the distribution of, you know, how much these different positions are play, paid. Mm -hmm. And one, it hurt to come across that. I actually found it through that Google image search of bad data visualizations. <laughs> there was my chart, but it was, an enormous step in my progression as a data visualization author, because that got through to me faster than anything else could have, that every little decision you make when you're designing something is going to impact how people interpret what you put out there. Yep. And that chart had gone viral on Reddit and, and people had shared it a lot on Twitter. But the the insights I got from from that blog was, yeah, but many of those people misinterpreted it and they were sharing it because it was pretty, not because they actually understood what I was trying to say. Yeah, that's all That's all useful, I think. Uh, yeah, we learn from our mistakes, et cetera. Also in the Tableau community, Makeover Monday is, is a huge initiative that was started by some, some great developers in the Tableau space where they would find a chart that they thought was interesting, but maybe flawed, and then mine the data that would have created that chart and then share it with the community and say, what would you have done? It's actually been transformative for my career. I'm actually uh, mentioned on a couple of pages of the book that the creators of this initiative wrote. And, uh, and uh, a couple of my charts are in there. When people start redesigning charts, often they go more dramatic than they necessarily need to. And this was something that came up in John Byrne Murdoch's presentation at the Sounders Conference, he had a very effective redesign that was essentially the same chart. He had just changed the colors to be more intuitive and written out much clearer text uh, in the title that the audience could understand. And then rather than having a color legend, he he labeled the, the lines within the line chart. But it, it wasn't even redesigning the chart. It was redesigning the space and the text around the chart that made it much more effective. And we don't need to go creating some bespoke new visualization mm -hmm. if the actual visual is, wasn't the problem in the first place. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And I think my Makeover Monday experience is far less than yours. But I, the one thing I like about it, just from looking at the hashtag now and then, it's it's generally seems like people are trying to, like it's a collaborative thing. It's not, mm -hmm. this is terrible. It's, right. hey, look, we can make this a little better. I've done this and you know, I made this mistakes and I, and I learned this. And so I, I like the attitude that seems to be behind it. Just again, from an outsider perspective, but it echoes kind of what you've said about how it works. Yeah, and it's, um, and it's a great resource for people who are starting out. Once you've got a tool that you're comfortable creating charts in, at the very least, I would recommend that people go uh, to makeovermonday.co.uk 
and then just check out what other people have done. Um, within that website, you can hover over learn at the top of the screen and click on blog or click on our makeovers or under participate, click on gallery and just see what other people are doing. Uh, and the people that run the initiative that that blog every week, they'll do a review of some of their favorites and, and also mention places where people tend to, to go wrong with that data. And that can be a huge learning opportunity for everyone. So all this learning kind of leads me to uh, what you're working on right now. You have a Tableau Development Academy that starts uh, May 26th, which is Tuesday. We're recording this a few days before that. So it may be underway by the time people are listening to this. Uh, what can you tell us about that? How do people get involved if they're interested? First of all, if you're hearing this and it's already begun, I do record every session and make those available to participants. And I have had people join in after um, even as many as four sessions and and still give me very good reviews on the course. Uh, so you can join late and get the, the recordings of previous sessions. What this is, is kind of a culmination of where I've been going with data visualization all along. Like I said, a decade ago, I started just tinkering in Microsoft Paint, and it it turned into a, into a career when, when Tableau came along for me. Throughout that, uh, the last five years have been predominantly teaching Tableau classes to organizations, so going to Fortune 100 companies, uh, teaching 20 to 30 of their employees at a time uh, the, the basics or advanced techniques within the tool. And within those settings, you know, you're, you're dealing with sales data, you're dealing with healthcare data, you're dealing with education data. Um, but I was always finding myself coming back to sports analogies when, when people would have questions. That's just mm -hmm. kind of where my mind goes most naturally um, sure. with, with a lot of data questions. And, um, and so I said, well, why not uh, create a course that is organized around sports data? Uh, so the very first session, I give everyone a, a data source that is a shot profile of every player's season since the three-point line was implemented in, in the 1979-1980 season. And, and so you've got number of three-pointers attempted and made, uh, number of two-pointers attempted and made, free throws, et cetera. And within the first hour and a half, they create a bar chart of the top 20 most three-pointers made by in any career uh, across NBA history. It's impactful be, to just from the beginning to be able to create that. And then we step back and say, okay, so why did Tableau do that so easily? And, and how could we iterate on that to make it better? And part of that circles back to where data can be imprecise. The odd thing that happens when you take that raw data and ask for the top 20 is Tim Hardaway pops on there. Hmm. Now, you think about Tim Hardaway, you know, he, he played a, a while back and he's not known for three-pointers. So right. why'd that happen? Well, Basketball Reference, the website I mined this from, up until the last two seasons, listed Tim Hardaway Jr. as Tim Hardaway. <laughs> so it was the father-son combo yeah. that was in the top 20, and that should not be the way things go. And so we have an um, exercise very soon after that in which we put the year onto the color shelf, and then you suddenly got a break in color in the middle of the Tim Hardaway bar and see, wait a second. Yep. Unless he took a, a decade plus off, this is wrong. And so we correct for that. And then later on in the class, I give them a better version of the same data that rather than just using the player name, we can use the URL in which their player profile exists, mm -hmm. which can come in handy in some other, right. other ways as well. But 
every data has got a little nuance in there that you have to adjust for. Uh, and sports data tends to be cleaner than um, a lot of other situations. It's many of these things are very straightforward. Did this person score? Yeah. Yes, they did. But there are always little things that, that can sneak in there and, and give you a problem. Yeah, so we'll put a link to that Development Academy in our show notes. And how else can people get in touch with you if they're looking for, if they have questions or feedback or potential projects for you or something? Um, my Twitter handle is at StatHunting, S-T-A-T-H-U-N-T-I-N-G, and my direct messages are open, so you can reach out to me there. I also, I'll just go ahead and share my, my business email here. I might regret it later, but I can use the, <laughs> the spam button. It's uh, steve at StatHunting.com, so you can email me there as well. All right. And, um, and I've also got other plans for the academy. I've, I've begun with just the beginner's class. It is designed primarily for folks who have not picked up Tableau at all or those who are self-taught but still feel like they're kind of figuring things out through trial and error in different projects and, and want a better understanding of, of the fundamentals and more confidence in how to use the tool. But I'll also be creating a, an advanced program going forward. I've got a few ideas that I'm, I'm bouncing around uh, to figure out the best strategy there, but, but we'll have a good program at some point. Good. And I like how that example you shared about the, the Hardaway issue, how it kind of ties back to what you said at the very beginning about how uh, one of the things that going through the data viz process is, the advantages is, is it kind of helps you clean up your data, find errors and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, exactly. okay, we wrap things up here with our playing favorites segment, we're through a number of favorites to get uh, your answers on this. What is your favorite number and why? 42, um, because both Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Jackie Robinson. <laughs> Two uh, integral things in American culture, right? Who's your favorite player while you were growing up? Any sport? I'd have to go, it's a hard one, but I'd have to go with David Robinson, which is weird because I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, but mm -hmm. Roy Tarpley was my favorite Maverick, and that's kind of a depressing story um, <laughs> with all the injuries and the cocaine addiction. So, um, you know, yep. David Robinson yep. was one I felt I could uh, look up to and, and and love watching play. And I was always a tall kid, so I, I was always in the post. So I, I kind of model my my game, so to speak, uh, around his. Yeah, very good. Do you have a favorite Tableau dashboard that you've developed? This is the toughest question yet. Um, <laughs> in all, I, I love and hate something about everything I've ever created. Sure. <laughs> um, and so I, I think the Hendrix one is probably top because of how much time and energy I put into it. I have so much fun creating things with statistics from basketball, soccer, hockey, but yeah, for, for any single dashboard, you know, I, I spent a whole lot of time on that Hendrix one. It actually got uh, Tableau actually printed it out and put it in their visualization gallery at the most recent Tableau conference. But um, yeah, it's um, I'm pretty proud of, of the way that one turned out. You were a theater arts major at Hendricks College. Yeah. Do you have a favorite show that you've been a part of? I mean, on stage, behind the scenes, favorite show, whether it's high school, college, any level that you've been involved in, just one favorite show that sticks with you. The, the first one was probably the, the most impactful for me. It's not a play many people have heard of. It's called uh, Philadelphia, Here I Come, and mm -hmm. it's about an Irishman leaving home. And I had a, a, a small part as his best friend, but I was a, a drunken Irishman on stage and researching the part was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that first experience was great. But uh, if I could cheat, I'd also say that there is an August Lenny um, collection of, of short plays that, that we made a major production of called Three Poets. And I shared the stage mm -hmm. with the, an actress who's gone on to quite a bit of success. Um, I was a uh, 
a Russian interrogator of a woman poet. Um, it's actually based on a, a real woman. But the, the actress's name is Ashley Atkinson. And she's done, I think there's 83 credits on our IMDb page now. She's been in Spike Lee films and had a recurring role in um, uh, Dennis Leary Fireman Show. I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head. Uh, Rescue, Rescue Me. Rescue that me. was it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but she's had a, a lot of success, and um, we always knew she was a fantastic performer. Um, and and I moved nice. to New York City trying to become an actor a little bit after she did, and uh, did not have really any success at all. <laughs> but um, as um, I'm really proud of uh, the performance I was able to 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 put in with her on on that production too. Very cool. And finally, favorite game that you have attended in person. This can be any sport, any age range, any level, whatever, favorite game that you have attended? Most people would have a, a problem nailing it down to just one, but I attended U.S. First Mexico in 2013 when the U.S. Right. Uh, clinched their, well, the U.S. men clinched their mo- their last World Cup that, uh, up to this point. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty hard to top. Yep. Uh, it was in the midst of the Dosa Cero trend. Yeah. Um, in fact, we were, we were up to nothing and Clint Dempsey had a uh, penalty kick at the end that he missed, and I was like, "Fine, it's still Dosis yep. Arrow." <laughs> yeah, I, I was and, at that game uh, working for ESPN, oh, yeah. and yeah. yeah, if he was going to make that penalty, it was going to ruin not all my notes, but a lot of the <laughs> right, best right. notes. So I, I was uh, like a lot of people. I don't think I was disappointed that he missed that penalty. <laughs> no, no, and it was uh, just uh, yeah, you were there. It's just such an amazing atmosphere. I, yep. I made a mistake in a, in a sense that I brought my one year old to the game my wife and i <laughs> brought him in and we were in the american outlaws section yeah. so um he had quite a uh, quite an early experience with a with a soccer crowd um had to get some some drunk folks to stop waving wooden sticks with flags on them in his face <laughs> but um but yeah i mean it was just so amazing and, and and looking back on it it's crazy how seven years later the view of some of these players has shifted like yep. uh, you know mixed discarude's assist we thought yeah, yeah this guy's gonna be foundational and yeah. that's eddie johnson eddie johnson scoring and then you know of course landon scoring and then getting left off the team the next year <laughs> there's uh there's oh, so man. many fascinating uh storylines but yeah that that's hard to top Yep, yeah, that, that's very high on my list as well. All right, that'll wrap things up for this episode of Expected Value. Steve Finn, Data Visualization Architect, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Steve Finn for joining us on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at StatHunting. And be sure to check the show notes for links to several projects we talked about, his Tableau Academy, and much more. I'm joined now by True Media Senior Software Engineer Andy Cox, also our resident data viz expert. He works on a lot of the charts and graphs available across True Media's various platforms. Andy, welcome to the show. What did you kind of pull out of that conversation I had with Steve? Um, well, first off, I just as an amateur musician and Star Wars fan, I appreciate your choice of examples to talk about. <laughs> it's right up your alley. That's right. Um, so anyway, guys, you guys talked about kind of what makes a good data visualization. So I think as you guys talked about, there's a couple main areas that matter. So first off, design matters, right? Mm-hmm. By that, I don't necessarily mean design that makes it look pretty, um, but as much of that is design that makes it more usable. So everyone likes graphics that look nice, of course. Um, but the main goal behind DataViz is using our visual systems to help us discover or communicate some sort of meaning in data. Um, and anything that kind of gets in the way of that probably isn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. 
So much of what I learned when I studied visualization uh, in school is related to how our visual systems work. So like how much of what our brain processes visually happens without us even noticing. And I think that's important because we, we want to use that knowledge to design effective visualization. So for example, talking about overuse of 3D or stacked bar charts or pie charts, um, largely because of how easy it is to do in Excel. Obviously, Tableau does a better job of that. And I think it's even in Excel to improve somewhat. Um, mm-hmm. But Excel is just so pervasive that it has a large effect when it makes certain things easy without kind of telling you when, when to use those or more importantly, when not to use those kind of things. I think too related to that, when you design a graphic, you don't want to make the viewer work too hard. Right. Um, so if your main objective is showing the difference between two things, two variables in some data set, you've got a, a large design space to work with. You know, what kind of graphic do you use? Um, do you use separate charts and then ask the viewer to notice the difference? Do you put them on the same chart, which might not even be possible depending on what kind of data or what kind of graphic you choose? Or could you choose instead to show some derived variable, you know, like the, the difference of the two that represents that difference and then kind of do the work for them? So that's that's another design area that matters. You guys talked about color as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's definitely important to understand how people interpret colors and use yeah, that yeah. when designing graphics. So first of all, like you, know, you guys talked about, I think too, don't go nuts with your choice of colors. And as I always like to say, stay away from the rainbow color palette. That's just not very, <laughs> not very good yeah. visually for us. I think uh, when I was at ESPN, we would, we were working with True Media on heat maps for baseball, soccer, whatever. And and yeah, that was always a point of contention between. And I think you know we've had these internal conversations too. Yeah, everyone likes colors a little bit differently, and so, and there's not always a right answer, but sometimes there's a wrong answer at least. Yeah. And I mean, even it's not just, you know, popular stuff too. I mean, you see in scientific papers all the time that use a rainbow color palette. And you would think that scientists of all people would know that these things don't work as well for for communicating data. So yeah, it's tricky. And that kind of goes into one of the things I thought was most interesting, uh, the conversation we had about message versus precision. Uh, To go back to when I was at ESPN again, uh, we had, for example, bar chart templates for TV graphics. And, you know, they're pretty simple, you know, bar graphs, in you know three or four, it tells a good quick story, uh, and the challenge was that sometimes the template just might not tell the story you wanted, which was usually you know one player or team was really good or really bad at something. So of course you could tweak the axes to make these differences more pronounced, but that wasn't being totally honest for a data perspective. So there was some some place in between these two extremes of never tweaking axes and maybe tweaking them a little. They'd try to find, but you know you couldn't if the difference uh, you know is 100 and 110, you couldn't set the axes the low end of the axis at 75, like that's being dishonest, but you know, maybe you could put it at 20 or something instead of zero, just to emphasize that difference a little bit more. So just that's kind of one little example. And I know coaches always talk about or or analysts that deal with coaches, you know, sometimes they don't even care about the numbers. Just show me the, like a heat map or a field or a strike zone. And you can just say, okay, he swings at the low and away pitches. That's all he needs. He doesn't need the, ah, it's 42.7% of the time. And that's where the message comes in. So that's a, that was a good point. It's, it's an eternal challenge. And every person, situation, everything's different. It's just something you always have to keep in mind. What are you trying to relay and how important is what? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the user task that you're trying to support in a graphic matters too, right? Are you, are you yep. trying to explore the data or are you trying to present it to right. others? We talk a lot about communication in analytics. So yep. you know, you'd have the best data out there, the best model. But if you can't communicate what that means or how to use that data to the people who make the decisions, whether it's GMs or coaches or players or whatever, it's worthless, right? I mean, you, you yep. generally want to simplify things. So... Yeah, that, that choice of what you do with an axis is definitely a popular discussion debate on Twitter between visualization people and you'll find <laughs> tons of 
tons of different viewpoints on it. And yeah, it's <laughs> never ending. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Andy. So that will uh, wrap things up for us here on episode 26 of Expected Value. Thanks again to data visualization architect Steve Finn for joining us on the show. As always, we appreciate feedback, whether in the form of ratings and reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts, or by subscribing and sharing the show with friends, or by hitting us up on Twitter at True Media Sports. Email us expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. On behalf of Andy Cox and all of us at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thank you for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. Stay safe, everyone. 